I haven't had a lot of time to prepare my thoughts this morning, but I am uh, just going to share some ramblings with you. Sometimes people tell me that's when they get the most out of <laughs> stuff that I'm sharing, but I'm thinking back to stuff that we talked about last week when I shared with you the article on the nature of reality <clears throat> and that consciousness is primary. And I, if you're in the group, the New Day global community group, I put a post up about semantics and how language can cause us to misunderstand each other because anytime you use a word, I put a video out on my YouTube channel about this too. Anytime that you hear a word or read a word, your mind goes on a search through your own catalog of references (laughs) So you can imagine like your brain is constantly doing a Google search. And every time you hear a word, every time you read a word, something's getting typed into that search engine and it's scanning the entire Internet of your experience to find the references that you have to that word. And then whatever carries the most meaning for you in the context that you're hearing it is sort of the page that's going to get clicked onto, and that's going to be the meaning that you are using to understand the speaker or to understand what's being said to you or what you're reading. Now, the problem is when it comes to, especially when it comes to more abstract concepts. So again, just to define terms and show you how this works in real time. If something is concrete, it has an existence In this three-dimensional realm. So this is my cup of coffee. It has cream in it. It tastes good. There's not a lot of... uh, Basically, we're all going to log on to the same page from our internal Google search when coffee cup gets typed in. Now, the specifics of what's in our uh, mind may be very different because we'll think of a specific kind of mug. We'll give it, we'll have these representations, we'll give it color, we'll give it meaning, but generally we're agreeing upon the same thing because that is very concrete. But now if you step it up a level to something that is not concrete, but something that is essentially a process, and I used this example in my last video and in... um on the New Day Global page, grief. Now, we know that grief is a process. There's a process to it. There's uh, many different stages, and these stages can overlap like in a Venn diagram. They don't have to happen succinctly or in a specific order, but shock is a phase of grief. Um, Denial is a phase of grief. Negotiation is a phase of grief. Um, Anger. Depression, acceptance, these can all be phases of the grieving process that we go through. But the point is, is that grief is a process. It's not a concrete singular thing like a cup. So it has many steps, many stages, many different kinds of expressions. But yet we use the term grief, which essentially is like a noun, which I learned a noun was a person, place, or thing, 
Well, grief itself is not a thing. Can't take it home with you. Grief is not a person. You can't sit down and have a conversation with it, and it's not a place that you go to. So we take a process, we turn it into a noun. Now we've distorted something just with our language. You see what I'm saying? We've made a thing out of a process. Now, where the abstractions come in is if I say, I don't want to do my video today because I'm grieving. So there's not going to be any Sunday morning live because I'm grieving. It's Christmas time and I'm grieving loss. Well, you're going to type in, metaphorically speaking, this is all metaphorically, in your brain, your brain is going to type in or in your mind, I need to start using that term, I think, it's going to type in grief, and it's going to search through your personal files, and it's going to pull up for you what grief represents to you. And you might think, you know, grief for you might look like laying in bed, crying, because you're in that stage or that stage of grief is what you associate it to when in reality I could be in shock because I just suffered a loss I didn't I'm just speaking metaphorically here but I could be in the stage of shock or the stage of denial or even negotiation or I could be at a stage where I haven't been able to cry about it I haven't been able to get upset about it because again I'm still in shock my point is we're talking about two completely different experiences. The person who is in shock may be a little bit of denial, hasn't really experienced the anger yet or hasn't really experienced the, 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 the emotional sense of loss, the sadness, the depression. They haven't experienced that yet. So one person is in shock and they haven't experienced that. The other person is in the throes of the heartache of it and they're curled up in bed and crying. We're talking about two very, very different experiences, but one word that's used to describe them or connect them. So if I describe my experience in grief and I only use the word grief, so that you only hear the word grief, we can access different websites in that sense inside of us. I'm using a metaphor. We can access different pages that describe totally different experiences under the heading of one word. So even though on the level of language we're sending and receiving, on a deeper level of experience, we're not exactly communicating, if that makes sense. Now, that's still, even though that's a level of abstraction, it's still something that relates to concrete reality. And by concrete reality, I mean things in this three-dimensional world that we all have a basic, general, shared experience of, like the cup of coffee. The cup of coffee is concrete. Your phone or your computer is concrete. When we start talking about grief or processes, communication itself is a bit of an abstraction. But it's there's still things that can generally be agreed upon and understood. When we start talking about God, 
when we start talking about consciousness, when we start talking about spirituality, when we start talking about the world as though the world itself inhabits masculine and feminine traits outside of reproduction. In other words, we start assigning, like someone this week said, you know, consciousness is masculine, matter is feminine. And it's true the word matter does come from the same word where we get matriarch, maternal, things like that. But there's, in matter itself, you have positive and negative protons. <laughs> I mean, you, you see what I'm saying? You have protons, electrons. You, there, there's, there's a polarity and duality inside of matter itself. And if matter did not embody both masculine and feminine traits, then it'd be impossible for you to be here. Because biologically, your matter, your body, uh, was the result of a masculine body and a feminine body coming together as one, right? So even though we talk about Mother Earth in spiritual circles, we talk about matter from a linguistically feminine description. It's reductionary. It's distorted. It's deleted, right, to say that the earth is feminine. Consciousness is masculine. I mean, it's such a deranged distortion. It really is. I mean, it's okay if it's a metaphor, but this person, you know, went on, just took it to a level it didn't need to go to in, in the discussion that I had with them. But do you see what I'm saying? It's a distortion. It's, it's deleted. It's distorted because of linguistics, because of language. But let's get back to spirituality. What do you mean when you talk about spirituality versus what I mean when I talk about spirituality? Um, let's talk about, um, Consciousness. What do you mean versus what do I mean? Let's talk about God. What do you mean versus what do I mean? These, these things are so abstract that when I'm using a term or I'm using language, people may have completely different experiences with it and they may assign completely different correspondences to things. And so this is where, this sort of brings me, I spent way too much time on that introduction, but this kind of brings me to where I want to talk about something that I talked about yesterday, or, uh, last week that's been really incubating with me, and I just want to share it with you. I'm just sharing ideas. These are strictly my ideas, but I'd be curious to see, you know, how it lands for you in the, so if you want to put it in the comments, that'd be cool. But I, I've been thinking about this idea from the article that I read last week that our minds, our conscious consciousness does not exist inside of us, but outside of us. It does not exist inside our brains, and it is not the byproduct of our brains. In other words, the spinal fluid, the tissues, the synapses, the electrical firing is not what produces 
my experience of an experience or consciousness. Because when we're talking about consciousness, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the experience of the experience. We're not talking about mind versus emotions. We're not talking about mind over heart. We're not talking about uh, masculine over feminine. We're talking about the experience of the experience, the observation, the awareness of it. That's what I mean when I say consciousness. Therefore, consciousness is fundamental because without it, there can be no observer. There can be no experience of the experience. There can be no experiencer because that is the operating system through which the experiences come. <laughs> but what if all of that, and, and, and in this article that I was reading, you have to go back and watch last week's, but in this article that I was reading, the idea from a shamanic tradition, from indigenous shamanic traditions, and from ancient shamanic traditions, is that consciousness exists outside of us, and that our brain and body is simply the receiver of consciousness, and that there are higher levels of consciousness or other sentient beings out there in consciousness other experiences, other energy currents, all kinds of stuff. But it takes an altered state of consciousness in order to tap into those realms or tap into those states. So you can think about it this way. Uh, in a traditional lock and key, I just happen to have one right here. It's a, it's a, uh, <laughs> it is a, uh, <clears throat> padlock. It's a plastic padlock that is, uh, designed to my son at one point wanted to be a locksmith or he just wanted to learn to pick locks. I'm not sure which. So he bought this little kit that where he can practice picking the lock. Isn't that lovely? Um, <laughs> but lock picking aside, there is an image. There's a match. There's a key that has a match to the tumblers inside of here, right? And when that match is the correct match, the correct key is put in the lock, and it matches it, it can turn it and can open it. So shamanic initiation or shamanic training was learning the keys that would be able to tap into the, let's say, the realm of the ancestors, the realm of the nature spirits. Um, the realm of the higher beings, the realm of the lower beings, the realm of the earth spirits. And so they would learn to alter their state of consciousness because it's outside. If that makes sense. It's outside of you. Yeah, Tracy said there was a study done on people who had near death and after heart stopped, their consciousness continued. Really appreciate thinking and your sharing, Aaron. Thank you, Tracy. I appreciate that. So, yeah, so that would explain why the heart stops. In the case of Eben Alexander, uh, who's written a book and has his testimony all over YouTube, uh, meningitis had eaten away <clears throat> a lot of his brain so that it was literally impossible for the brain to be generating the experiences that he says that he has. I think we don't like this. We don't like to accept this as any kind of scientific evidence 
or any kind of proof of anything else out there besides this biological world, this material world. I think because it's uh, it can be a little bit scary. And I made the statement a while back. I think there are some people that they they are better off being scientific materialists and atheists because their experience within Christ, the, the God of Christianity was so scary for them. And I'm not saying that's why they're doing it. I'm just saying I think, think that it might be healthier for some people. But regard, but the reason that we can doubt it uh, is not I, – I didn't mean to say because it's scary. I don't know where that came from. What I meant to say was is because it depends on someone else's self-reporting. So, in other words, even Alexander comes out of uh, coma and near-death experience with a very elaborate – tale of what he experienced in the, his near-death experience, life after death, what he experienced as a conscious reality, while his brain was not able to, because of the disease, give him any kind of conscious reality because of the areas of the brain that were destroyed. Now, keep in mind that he's also a neurosurgeon, and he was also an atheist before this experience, So, but it depends on his self-reporting. Maybe it didn't happen. Maybe he's just out to sell books. Maybe he's just out to make a buck. And so I think that's why people don't like to take that kind of stuff seriously. But we shouldn't discount everything. See, that's another distortion. We shouldn't discount everything just because there are other people out there who, who are trying to make a buck or whatever. Like, like just because there are a lot of phony counterfeit hundred dollar bills out there, we don't just take all our hundred dollar bills and throw them out the window, right? So if consciousness is outside of us and our brain is a receiver of consciousness rather than a producer of consciousness, which is another theory out there in neuroscience that's gaining traction, then that really changes things for us a lot. That really changes things for us a lot. It's a totally different paradigm way of thinking about ourselves and life if our mind, our consciousness exists and is coming from unseen dimensions. I'm talking about real dimensions here. I'm not using this metaphorically. I'm saying things that we only have perception of through extra sensory perceptions or through what they were calling in the paper that I was reading last week, the contact modalities. Contact modality is just a fancy term for the way in which we access higher realms of consciousness. The way in which we access higher realms of consciousness is not through our five physical senses, because our five physical senses are part of our three-dimensional bodies, and they only need to navigate three-dimensional space. But if there's 11 dimensions of space, then the suggestion is that our consciousness is coming from outside. So that really our bodies are like very much like an avatar, <laughs> uh, like a character in a video game, like a character in a simulation. And the direction, the decision making, the thought, will and emotion, if you will, is coming from outside of us rather than inside of us rather than strictly as a byproduct of our environment in this three-dimensional world and how we think. 
<clears throat> so I'm, I've been thinking about that and thinking about also that that's a game changer in a lot of ways in how we think and talk about consciousness. And this is why I was bringing up levels of abstraction and linguistics and language. Because, again, when we're talking about abstract concepts, we can have totally different ideas of what we're talking about. And then we get into big fights about our ideas or arguments about our ideas when really we could even be saying the same thing. We're just stuck in a linguistic traffic jam, so to speak. And going at it with people. Um, but what if our brains are receivers and interpreters? What if, what if they function? What if the brain functions not as the producer of thought, mind and consciousness and experience? But what if it is the receiver of those things? And the translator, so like a receiver and a translator. So like I used the example of radio last week that, you know, radio stations are broadcasting signals and your radio produces, appears to produce the songs that come on, if it's talk radio, the talking, the game, whatever the case may be, the radio seems to be producing that in and of itself when in fact it's being produced at a station you know in the case of like if I'm listening to Denver radio to listen to a football game or Denver sports or something it's 100 150 miles away so that signal's being produced all that content is being produced from 150 miles away and all my radio does <clears throat> is access it or pick it up and so that I, it translates it, right? So I'm starting to think, what if the brain operates like this? If the brain operates like that from strictly an observational perspective, just like a radio from a strictly observational perspective, the radio itself is producing the content. The content is inside the radio. Then from a strictly three-dimensional perspective, then, of course, our experience of the experience is being produced by our brain or being produced heart or being produced by some combination of our minds and bodies. Of course, it would be self-evident. But, see, it's what I can't see that's the problem. So I can't see those radio waves. I can't see the the radio tower I can't see the the guy talking. So in the in terms of talk radio and conversations and stuff like that, somebody is producing this program. In case of a local radio station out of Denver, somebody in some building somewhere in Denver in some studio, there are two or three guys sitting down talking. Or at the stadium when the game's going on, there's a guy giving a play-by-play. I can't see the stadium. I can't see the guys. I can't see the radio station. And then they're broadcasting it. I can't see the tower 150 miles away. And I certainly can't see the radio waves when they're coming in. All I can do is tune into them and pick them up, right? And I can pick them up, and then I'll start reproducing those things. And if I'm reproducing those things, then to the scientific materialist, it's going to look like it's all coming from some kind of biological process, that it's coming from the radio, that in other words, it's it's the belief 
that the guy doing the play-by-play exists inside the radio. That the guy doing that the the couple of uh, doing the talk show exist inside the radio. The lady talking on the news exists inside the radio. <laughs> and we can open up the radio and we can start looking for where is this guy and where is this this woman and where is this game that's being played. And you're not going to find it. And that's exactly the situation of, of contemporary neuroscience. Sure, if I mess with the radio, I'm going to disrupt the signal. I'm going to disrupt the signal, but I'm not going to find the, 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 the game. I'm not going to find the players. I'm not going to find the guy talking. There is no guy in there. <laughs> And that is precisely, I challenge anybody to find any research paper, any medical journal, any article that says they can find the person that's in there. And, of course, the scientific materialist is going to come back and say, we can't find the person in there, Aaron, because there is no person in there. There is no person in there. There is no soul. There is no spirit. There is no consciousness outside of the body. There is no existence outside of the body. There is no life outside the body. There is no con- there is no guy inside the radio. There is no existence of this game in reality. There is no existence of these people in reality. It's just in the radio and when we break down the radio there's all these parts but there's no person in there and so therefore when the radio's done that specific thing is over. <laughs> so the radio dies, and you go get another radio, and what can you do? You can tune into those signals again. So it's not honoring that which is unseen. That which is unseen that I can't see just because Dave Logan, who calls games for the Denver Broncos, doesn't exist, that's the only time I listen to radio, doesn't exist inside the radio, doesn't mean that Dave Logan doesn't exist. It just means that I can't see him. It just means that he's broadcasting. And I can't see the radio waves at all. Right? This is the idea or the theory of consciousness, one of the ones that's out there that I've been thinking about that holds just as much validity, if not more, than other theories and can hold weight for us. Now, (laughs) here's the problem. Here's why I was bringing up semantics. If everything, here's how I'm starting to think about this. That everything is energy. E equals mc squared, right? Everything is energy. Matter is simply energy at a certain level of density. What if energy, and Derek Days suggested this to me more than once, but what if energy contains consciousness or information? Let's talk about information, because there's a difference between information and mind in semantically in the way we think about it. So go back to what I said about semantics. Give me an opportunity to explain what I mean out of my experience 
and then you can compare it with your experience and we can see where we're at with it, right? So I do find the Gospel of John to be one of the most inspiring things ever written. I really do, still do, the Gospel of John. And I'm aware that the writer of the Gospel of John, whoever that was, because we know it wasn't John the Apostle, <laughs> there's no way, um, but whoever wrote that um, was definitely coming from a Hellenistic Jewish perspective that we know about through the writings of a Jewish Greek philosopher named Philo, who talks about the Logos. And the concept of the Logos is a Greek, I want to say Pythagorean concept that is really complicated to talk about because to understand. But basically, there was already this idea that the Logos, Logos was was already called, way before John used the term, way before the time of Jesus, the Logos was called the Son of God. Philo called the Logos the Son of God. And by that, um, yeah, there, I don't want to get into all the metaphysics of that because it's too complicated. But also that through this Son of God or through this Logos, everything was created that was created. So, that idea is already there. So John starts out, in the beginning was the Logos. He, he's not writing anything controversial at all. Basically, this was ubiquitous in the Greco, Roman, and Jewish world, belief of how the cosmos was, the nature of things was. So in the beginning was the Logos. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And all things were made by him, and without him nothing was made that has been made. And in him was light, and the light was the life of men. Watch this, in the Logos was light, energy, and the light, I'm sorry, life. In him was life, so Logos, in him was life. And the life was the light, or the energy, the light of mankind. And he says... He was the true light that gives light to every person coming into the world. He's the true light who gives light to every person coming into the world. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. King James says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. It's an interesting word, this word overcome. It's probably not the best word. In other translations, it says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness does not understand it. In King James 21, darkness does not comprehend it. In the American Standard Version, again, darkness has not apprehended it. And the Amplified just goes for all of it. It says the darkness did not understand it or overpower it or appropriate it or absorb it and is unreceptive to it. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not understand it, or overpower it, or appropriate it, or absorb it, and is unreceptive to it. Now, here's where I'm coming. If 
consciousness is fundamental, if energy is fundamental, let's just say that if everything is energy and energy is fundamental and energy contains information and everything that exists on in every dimension is some manifestation of this energy. If there is some unified quantum field and everything is a manifestation of this energy and this energy contains information and this information is coming to us from outside of us, from realms and levels and dimensions that we cannot see, then our brain can become the decoder of this information. So in other words, don't think of this information as coming in a language. It's not a language. So we have language where we break down every single part of the packet of information that we're trying to share into one word. When we're dealing with the universal mind, what they called in the article that I read last week, the universal mind, or the mind of God, or revelation, or downloads, we're dealing with packets of information that come to us, packages of information, packets of information that come to us, then then has to be received by us, but then also has to be translated and decoded by us. And in order for it to be translated and decoded by us, we have to have a language. We, we, we have to have a decoder inside of it. We have to be able to decode it. We have to know the code. We have to be able to break the code and then translate it into something so that we can apprehend it. So that we can, I like how it says it, so that we can understand it, appropriate it, absorb it and be receptive to it, right? That's what's happening. So that that light, that information from energy is coming to us. And when we become enlightened, whatever comes to us, enlightenment isn't a state of being in my mind or, uh, you know, I'm not talking about it in a spiritual sense. I'm saying when we get, we can get a packet, a download of information, an, an intuition, a dream, a vision, all of that, the dream and the vision itself is after it's been decoded, after that packet of information has come to us, that packet of energy has come to us, and in that energy there is information, and then it has to be translated and decoded based on whatever <clears throat> translator decoder that we have. It's Christmas, right? So uh, if any of you have ever watched the Christmas story, when the, when Ralphie can't wait to get his, <clears throat> you know, he's listening to Little Orphan Annie, and he can't wait to get his decoder so that he can go in and decode the messages the little or- orphan Annie is given, right? So the message itself, the way it's being given, the way the information is being given, when you have the decoder, it says something totally different, right? So I think the message, the information is being given out on the radio through like number, a numbers or something, and each number corresponds to a letter. And so Ralphie's sitting there figuring out the correspondences, and then he writes out, and it says, you know, something like drink more Ovaltine or something like that, right? So, so that kind of a process is what goes on inside of us. So this explains a lot. So I watched a, a video 
<clears throat> that someone sent me, uh, I think it was Joe Machuda sent me a video about, uh, uh, a woman who had written a book where she went back and looked at the experiences of the Catholic mystics like Francis of Assisi and, um, others who had, you know, revelations of Christ, visions of Christ. Um, and she went back to the original texts and discovered that by the time they get translated down to us, they've been <clears throat> Catholicized. So, for example, she uses the uh, one of the claims of St. Francis of Assisi, who saw Jesus, and Jesus figured very profoundly in the experience. But when she went back to the original, the older translations and retranslated them, <clears throat> she discovered that the language that he uses to describe the phenomenon had nothing to do with Jesus. There was no Jesus in it. And the language that she uses, that he used to describe his phenomenon matched with the language that people use for descriptions of UFO abduction or UFO phenomena today. <clears throat> and of course, the point I think is to make it sort of the same thing. But it, it got me to thinking <clears throat> that we are receiving information from outside of us all the time. And we have memes, we have literally representations. All a meme is is a representation that has meaning. But it's symbolics, pictures. We so we have memes inside of us. We have we have a symbolic system inside of us. We have memes inside of us. We have language inside of us. And something will get translated when it comes in. It's particularly abstract, particularly from those higher realms. It's going to get translated through the memes that we have. And then <clears throat> based on a system of comparison, we're going to mimic what we're receiving. Or we're going to re distort what we're seeing in the sense that we're going to try and make sense and understand what we're seeing and experiencing through the memes that we have inside of us. I don't know if this is making sense to you. But here's what I'm trying to say. That someone could be receiving energy or, or information of and if you grow up in a Buddhist culture, then you're going to translate that energy as, if you grow up in a culture, you're going to translate that energy as Christ. Or if you grow up in a Catholic Christian culture, you might translate that, that energy as Mother Mary. If you are indigenous person, or you believe in your ancestors, or you believe in goddesses, gods and goddesses, then you may translate that energy. In other words, you're going to have to use whatever meme that you have <clears throat> to make sense of that flow, that connection that's coming to you. It's all the same. It's just getting lost in translation 
because we don't all share the same. And then what we do is we confuse the map with the territory. We confuse the meme with the territory. We want to fight over the memes. We, we want to fight over the memes. And we're still doing this. It's funny how people can't shed the energy of their religious experiences. Because we, we can look at this stuff. If we look at it as information and other dimensions, if we look at it as territory and not the map, then we can realize that, that none of it is right or wrong in a fundamental sense. There's not one person who's right and another person who's wrong. And so we have to contend over these things. We have to insult one another. We have to point out the faults in each other because we need to get them right because, you know, they got to think like us. What if it's all just territory? So here's what I mean. Am I right because I'm sitting here in Pueblo, Colorado, and you're wrong, lady from Alabama, because you're sitting there in Alabama? Or if you're in Africa right now, or if you're closer to the equator right now, if you're in a warmer climate right now, if you're sitting in Arizona, Phoenix, Arizona right now, and it's sunshine and palm trees, and I'm sitting in Pueblo, Colorado, and it's cold and snowy, who's right and who's wrong? Who sees the future? Who sees the future better? Which one's going to come into manifestation? <laughs> it's so silly and ridiculous. But see, especially those of us that have deconstructed from Christianity, we can be so locked into our truth, false, right, wrong. I'm speaking by the Spirit. I'm speaking by God. Uh, I've got revelation that comes directly from heaven. I've seen how it's going to be. See, all of that is still operating under that paradigm of religious superiority and religious competition, right? So I could say, you know, I'm superior because it's Christmas time. You're supposed to have snow at Christmas. I've seen all these Christmas cards. They all, they always have snow. They, they've made songs. Hell, they made a whole movie musical called White Christmas. Everybody wants snow at Christmas. So, you know, if you're in Phoenix, if you're in Arizona for Christmas, you shouldn't be there. You should, you should have snow because I've seen it. Haven't you seen it on the Christmas cards? It's, it's, it's just, you see, and then we make those ridiculous kinds of comparisons. See what I'm saying? Well, the Bible says this, so it should be like this. <laughs> it's just like when Peter and Paul had this experience, right? That's like me saying, it, haven't you seen it on the Christmas cards? There's snow. There's supposed to be snow in your future for Christmas. You're supposed to manifest snow. It's going to be wonderful when we all have snow. And I'm here to make sure you have snow. And so, you know, your problem is you like the sun too much. You're out of balance. You're, 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 <laughs> you're out of balance. You, you are a snow hater. You, you are a snow hater. <laughs> you are a cold hater. And that's the problem. But you know, hey, if I grew up in a sunny culture, if I grew up in Southern California, if I grew up in Hawaii, then I'm just going to be preconditioned to not like snow, but snow is best at Christmas. I've seen it. I've heard the songs. I've heard the music. I've seen the movies. You have to have a white Christmas. Can't have one of those hot Christmases. 
And that's what we do. That's what we do with each other. And it really, it does come out of this. If there's one thing that's so hard to deconstruct from, and I'm not saying I've done it fully and completely, is just this idea of superiority, that my ideas are somehow superior to your ideas. My experiences are somehow superior to your experiences. They may be different. They may even be more informed, but it does not make them superior or better than. You see what I'm saying? Um, so I don't know. I kind of rambled all over the place. Let's look at some of the comments. I don't know if that made any sense to anybody. Um, still looks like there's quite a few people on. So if you've stayed with me this long, because I know I've just been rambling today. Um, but thank you for that. I really appreciate it. Uh, Tracy says, uh, yeah, we're like big uh, telepath radio. Um this is so good my mind's waking up here. Yeah, exactly. Um, Mudskipper put, puts out a great point uh, when I'm talking about how we reference experiences. Um, I've got vanilla cream in my coffee. He says uh, coffee mate, coffee mate, hazelnut creamer. So all language is reductionary. Um, it has to delete, generalize, and distort, or we would never be able to communicate because there's just too much information out there. But again, keep in mind, your symbols, your memes, your thoughts are just the map. They're just the translator. They're not the territory. And don't confuse the map with the territory. Dark matter is the potentiality and dark energy is the catalyst. Yeah, mystical download is translated into cultural input exactly. Um, now I got somebody dreaming of palm trees. Truth be told, I like, I, I like the warmth, especially. Um, so it's a good talk. Diana Pasolka. Yeah, that's right. Is who I think you were talking about. Yeah. That, uh, wrote the book where she went back and translated mystical experiences and found similarities between how they described them originally and how people describe UFO type experiences today. So anyway, I hope this was helpful for you. I hope it didn't confuse you. Hope it didn't upset you. Um, and love you. Thank you so much for watching. If you've gotten this far, please consider supporting us. Um, eventually I suppose I'll have to get on Patreon and, um, you know, some of these other things to, uh, generate enough support so that I can do the things that, uh, I want to do to help people and reach people through this channel and through other mediums. Um, but, uh, put a PayPal link in there. If you would consider, uh, supporting us by making a donation, many of you donating monthly, I deeply appreciate that. Um, but every little bit helps for us. And, um, so anyway, if you got something from this, even just consider a one-time donation. Thanks, guys. I will see you next week. If you are in the New Day Global Facebook group, I'll be on tomorrow night and uh, probably in a little clearer mind. Um, uh, so anyway, it should be good. All right. Thanks, everybody.